All right, welcome back to another edition of the Forts Athletics Life and Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Inferna, and uh, I can't believe on the other side of this call, I have multiple-time Highland Games world champion, world record holder, uh, been on the cover of Milo Magazine like half a dozen times, Sornex, uh, gym equipment specialist, Dan McKim, how are you? Great, man. Thanks for having me. That's quite the intro. I mean, you have to remember, I was on the cover of Milo, but I think they were really short on talent those months. So, Yeah, those months that, uh, that you won all those world championships, right? <laughs> well, I think it was mostly the eye candy part, honestly. I mean, yeah. me, the kill, I mean, come on. Well, I mean, without the beard, I mean, you look like you were like 15 years old, 16 years old, and you're, uh, <laughs> you're crushing these stones and these hammers and things. But uh, on this end, like, I, uh, I'm, like, fanning out here. Like, I got to be honest. Like, uh, I, if I had my hoop band on right now, my heart rate's, like, going a million miles. So, <laughs> But, uh, no, so, so – wow, I still can't believe you're here. Uh, Dan, why, <laughs> why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved as, in sports as a kid, and, we'll, you know, we'll get started there. Yeah. I was uh, – I grew up – I'm one of three – boys and so we just grew up doing whatever was in season so mm -hmm. everything from football to of course basketball baseball we even shoot play a little soccer in the backyard which come to find out quickly wasn't my sport actually I played one year of soccer though I was in grade school and I played mm -hmm. bro we lost every single game <laughs> we didn't score a goal all season mm -hmm. and my parents were like so you want to play soccer next year I was like nah I'm good were you like head and shoulders above everybody else or what? How old were you when, the, when you were playing oh, soccer? Oh, man. I don't know. It was young uh, elementary school. I don't remember. I just remembered my move was to grab the ball yeah. with two, two feet and hold it. Sure. And then they started kicking it between my legs. And I was like, well, that move didn't work at all. So I didn't know anything about soccer. It was, <laughs> it was really, really rough. Right. <laughs> but no, I grew up with uh, my brothers and we just did everything, man. I started loving sports. And then my older brother started throwing. In okay. middle school mm -hmm. and started watching him in high school and so I honestly loved to throw I wanted to throw now eighth grade seventh and eighth grade went very poorly for me I didn't hit my growth spurt to like eighth grade mm -hmm. and I almost didn't throw in high school I almost played baseball I remember telling my parents I was like you know I didn't like track last year I think I'm gonna play baseball this year and my dad's like son you haven't played baseball since kid pitch since coach mm -hmm. pitch right I was like yeah I might try it out. I don't know. <laughs> so, but what happened is I never forget. And this is part of what coaching is too, right? Is that we were sitting after a big track meet in eighth grade. We're sitting on the in the stadium, and the coach is giving us a breakdown. He says, "You know, guys, we might have won this track meet if our throwers actually threw well." And I was like, "Wait a second, that's me." <laughs> and so I got singled out. I got called out for not throwing well, and I was like, "You know what?" Maybe I don't want to throw. Now, I look back and I'm very, very thankful I did. Right. But I still remember that to this day, right? I mean, you've still got these coaching impacts We still this, we, that hang with us. Right. So you started throwing in middle school. So you said you hit your growth spurt. So uh, how do you remember, like, how tall you were before you hit this? Because you're, what, like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, now, right? Yeah, 6'5". Six, six, I yeah. was – Man, I just remember, for some reason, I remember in high school, my sophomore year, I was 6'4", 195. Wow. I thought I was huge. Sure. You know, I'm like, bro, right. <laughs> I'm 195, <laughs> I'm almost two bills. <laughs> so I remember in seventh grade, I think I was, man, I played wing. I would grow up playing a post in basketball. Sure. And next thing I know, in seventh grade, I'm playing guard, and I'm like, whoa, what is going on with this? So. I uh, I didn't hit my growth spurt till eighth grade. I think in eighth grade I wasn't huge. I was like six, you know, six foot. Being eighth grader, six foot. Sure. Uh, so, but yeah, it wasn't until freshman year I was like six two. Mm -hmm. Sophomore year six four. Junior year I was six five. And then junior I hit six five two fifty five and just kind of stay, stayed at that for a long time. So. So your football coaches, they were probably like salivating over you, right? I mean, unless <laughs> unless you were like one like the biggest kid in the school. I pretty much was the biggest kid in the school. <laughs> so, yeah, they were uh, they were a little upset that I didn't play football in high school. I was, yeah, like I said, I was 6'5", 255, but right. I also didn't want to play line, right? So I went to a small school. I would have been the tackle. And so I was right. like, 
man, if I'm going to play, I want to play at least tight end. I want to get the ball. Right. In seventh, in seventh grade, I was still I was still a chunky kid. And so I tried out for fullback and outside linebacker. Like, I want right. to be Lawrence Taylor um, coming right. off the rush edge, you know. Sure. I moved real quick. <laughs> Didn't last long. <laughs> now, did you go to – I mean, did you go to a bigger, uh, like, high school, like your community? Like, was it more rural or anything? Like – yeah, rural community, a yeah. uh, town of 10,000 people. Okay. So yep. Not a huge, not a small town by any means, you know, but sure. just a, just a small town. So, mm-hmm. so when you, uh, when you transitioned to high school and you, um, and you were throwing and you know, th- that coach, like, did that coach, like, did he have any other, or she, did they have any other like impact? Like, were they around while you were like on uh, competing in high school also? Like be, just because like be, having, being in a small school, was it just like one coach from like seventh grade all the way up to 12th grade or? No, this guy, that's what's crazy, man. That's, that's weird that we brought that. I haven't talked about this like forever. Uh, the fact that coach kind of singled me out for everybody and, and did that to me. Right. Man, what was really funny is, I never saw him again. I think I was in college, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'd been throwing better and I, I'd gone to college on a college scholarship and I saw him again. And even to the, you know, I'll go from being like an eighth grader to now I'm a college student, almost out of college. And at that point I had, I had thrown pretty well. I'd set a school record, you know, I was in a, I was an All-American, D2 All-American. And I thought, well, like, yeah. And I saw him and I thought to myself, I'm like, yeah, what's up now? You didn't yeah. think I was going to be good. <laughs> You know, but that's just how ridiculous is that? I think of how ridiculous that stupid that is now looking back, but also to remember that kids, I mean, you're a dad too. You, mm-hmm. you think of how much we impact kids and athletes and younger generation by little things we say. Now I know that him, that was probably something he said in passing too. He's, he forgot about it two minutes later. Right. Something that stuck with me for a long time. And I think we forget what a huge impact we have on younger generation, man. Well, even I, like, even with my college kids, like I, I've coached at small division three schools, like 2000, 3000 kids. And, um, I've, I've, you know, anybody who's, who wants to throw, sure. Come on. You know, you can, you can try, even if you never have in high school, which sometimes it makes it better, especially now where we live up here in Western New York, they started throwing, they introduced the weight, um, in high school, like five years ago. And you should see, I mean, some of the kids, they throw, you know, like you did, you know, Highland game style weight and, you know, they have, uh, you know, leather work gloves. And it's just so interesting, the dynamics, but like, I'll take anybody like, cause you never, you never know, like the couple, the best athletes that I've coached, they just showed up. You know, one of them, she was an art major. She's like, Oh, I kind of threw the shot in high school, national champion. Another kid. Yeah. You know, like I, uh, I played defensive tackle in, in high school, but I've never thrown. Okay. National champion. Like, I know it's, those are like very, very like random instances probably, but if you don't give kids a chance, like you never know what, how they're going to manifest into their potential or what they could, you know, what they can turn into. But, uh, well, it definitely worked out for you. I mean, you went D2, all American, like you're crushing it there. When did you realize though, like that you were good at throwing? Like, was there like oh, a specific like meet, like, especially like in high school, let's say, I mean, cause you were in the D2 scholarship. I mean, that's a big deal. Like, was there somebody that was like, Hey Dan, you know, like you can, you know, somebody will pay for you to throw shot put in college. Man, I don't think I I don't think it ever really clicked for me that I could throw it until <laughs> now. I grew up in Maryville, Missouri, which is where I went to school, Northwest Missouri State D two school, and I remember um, I remember getting the call from from the head coach was like, "Hey, we'd like to have you in for a visit," sure. and I thought, "Well, shoot, don't don't tell him, but I was going to go throw here for free. You know, I was just going to walk on." Right. And he offered me a small scholarship and I was just floored. And I thought, wow, this is cool. You mean you really want me to make money? I mean, you really want me to pay? You want to pay me to do this? This is cool. And it it wasn't until that happened. And the whole point, I guess, and I was kind of miffed, you know, he didn't recruit the local kid at first, but he thought I was going to go to my parents' alma mater the whole time. And I was just like, anyways, it wasn't until that point that I got that call from him that, I could get a scholarship doing this mm-hmm. and as I did the math in my head. I stayed at home through college. I lived at home, uh, saved money there and I got through school without any debt. And it's now that I look back now that I'm so thankful and appreciative of that. Cause I think to myself how different my life would be probably if I was paying off school debt. And I know not everybody has that opportunity and I'm very, very thankful for that. Now, do you think like your college experience was, 
different than like your teammates, for example? I mean, like living for like my wife and I, we were just having this conversation earlier today about, um, you know, like all the kids in college, like the NCAA pretty much shut everything down and what college sports might look like, you know, in the future with maybe more kids deciding to stay home rather than live on campus. But do you think your experience, like, did that help you, do you think, become a better thrower? Or do you, you know, did it kind of hinder like some of maybe like the social aspects of hanging out with your teammates after meets and practice and stuff like that? Man, I I don't think it hurt. I don't think it hurt me socially at all, honestly, Mm -hmm. because Man, I did. I was really involved in a lot of campus ministries. So Monday night, I had FCA. Wednesday night, I had church. And then Thursday, I had FCA and Campus Crusade for Christ. No, not FCA. Baptist Student Union. I mean, I had like four campus ministries I was doing in right. addition to training. And and I'm a I'm just a gym rat, man. Like one thing that I've learned all my years of throwing is not has been I'm not going to be the biggest. I'm not the strongest. I'm most assuredly never the most athletic. But I also, I figure I can outwork people. So stupidly, I used to train two and a half hours a day and go throw and do sprints, right? In in high school or in college. And sorry, and I never figured out why I couldn't gain weight. I'm like, bro, what is my deal? I'm working my butt off. I'm not gaining weight. (laughs) Yeah, always working. So I was always, I was plenty social there and had a good social aspect there. And I just, uh, it was my mom and I had to have a talk once. I came home uh, about 3 a.m., hanging out with some buddies. Sure. We were playing video games. We weren't doing anything stupid, right? We were just playing video games. And my mom was on the couch waiting for me. I was like, Mom, what are you doing? She's like, do you know what time it is? It is 3 in the morning, and I've been worried sick about you. And I'm like, Mom, I'm in college. Right. I said, if I was away to college, I was in the dorm, you wouldn't even know. Right. And so then the next morning, of course, you know how moms are, you know, the next morning she's like bawling. She's upset. She's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I guess I didn't think it that way. I'm like, mom, don't, you're making me feel guilty. Yeah. <laughs> I was winning here. Now you're making yeah, me feel right. guilty. Yeah, right. <laughs> this. But once we had that conversation, it was totally cool. My parents yeah. uh, loved having me at home and, yeah. and I loved being there. So when you were competing in college, what, like, what were your, like, what were your expectations? Like when you showed up on campus, like you were going to go there for free anyway. Right. So now you have somebody that, has offered you a little bit of a scholarship to throw. Like, did it, I don't want to say like raise anxiety or like, you know, did it make you feel different than like, whoa, like I, I really need to perform at a certain level now because people are counting on me or man, if I don't throw the shot 50 feet or 55 feet, they're going to pull my money. Like, was it, was it different than when you realized maybe it's a little bit more serious than when I was in high school? Man, I think that's, that's where my coach came in really big. My first two years I had a coach, Shiloh Eaton. And he taught me to love the sport. He was, he was kind of asking me questions like, you know, asking me a, a, about Jurgen Schultz. And he's asking me about uh, Werner Gunther. And he's asking all these questions. I'm like, I don't even know these guys. Virgis Lechna, right? And I'm like, I don't even know these guys. He's like, you need to be a fan of the sport. And so I used to go to the library. Then we didn't have – I don't know if you, you're way – you're too young. You don't remember the ring, do you? I, do, oh, I used to post on that. All, well, I'm 38. I just turned 38 in February. So I, I love the ring. See, I like you even better. We're the same age. This is Perfect. Great. <laughs> the ring, I used to, I went into full like fan mode on the ring and I used to right. read those. I used to watch all the videos, right. just yep. sit in the library for hours and just watch that. And he taught me, and that's one thing when I work with athletes now is I'll mm-hmm. tell them and I'll ask him like, hey, what's Ryan Krauser throwing this year? Hey, what's, uh, right. you know, COVID, Kovacs throwing? And like, well, I don't even know these guys. I'm, I'm like, how, I said, but you yet, yeah, you know about the NBA. Right. You know about the NFL, but you don't even know about the sport you're doing. You claim that you right. love. Right. So, anyways, you get me. We're getting off on that. Um, no, that's okay. No, that's perfect. Because I think for the majority of people who are watching this, they're going to be like, "Oh, what's the ring? Like, is that an app or something?" Like, no, you got to go to this <laughs> website. People used. Well, I re- I remember like Judd Logan used to post all the time, and those were my initial like conversations with him through. I mean, that was our social media, right? Like, I was a Absolutely. an undergrad from 2000 to 2004, right? So it's like there wasn't. Facebook just started no Instagram, no Twitter. Like you actually had to email somebody or pick up a phone and call them. And then if you were so, you know, fortunate enough to reach out on the ring, somebody might email you back. Like you had to work for it back then. Absolutely. I think we take it for granted. Now I'll just shoot them a DM and hopefully they get back to me. But I mean, for, I mean, thank, thankfully you did. So I appreciate that. But. <laughs> no. And I think of like YouTube, right? right. YouTube wasn't right. really YouTube. around then right. either. So right. I was just consuming every video they were posting on the ring. And I was like, man, I wish. And you know what that did to me too, man, is two things. When you said that 
uh, you asked like, did I, if, I don't even remember the question now. We're already talking. It doesn't, about, it doesn't matter. Which, <laughs> we're already it, talking it about topic. That's all right. We're nerding out. Yeah, right. We're out on the ring already. Yeah. Uh, the, I used to consume all those videos and, and I really appreciate him doing that because it gave me a love for the sport. And two right. things happened for me in my career. Uh, I didn't feel the pressure of performing for my scholarship because mm -hmm. I fell in love with the sport. Like I liked it in high school. We used to grill out on track meets, had a good time and everything, right? right? But I fell in love with it in college. Mm -hmm. And two things happened. He taught me how to love it. And then between my freshman and sophomore year, I had hernia surgery. And I couldn't train, couldn't lift, you know, for weeks on end. And it just, it just about killed me. Right. Some, I was, at that point, I realized, wow, I didn't realize how much I enjoy this and how much I miss it. And I don't want to take it for granted again with an injury or something like that. So mm -hmm. my sophomore year, I really, really busted it and just hit it hard and fell in love with it. So I was never worried about my scholarship because I wanted to do better and better. And I had dreams, right? Mm -hmm. Because I fell in love with the sport, I had dreams. I was like, man, I probably won't ever make it to the Olympics, but mm -hmm. if I could make it to a USA championship, man, that would be awesome, you know? And right. so trying to work towards those things. And, and so I was never nervous about it because I always had a big goal in mind and always mm -hmm. was trying to strive further and further. Mm -hmm. So did you, like that, that coach that you, um, you mentioned, like did you – like sit down and like have conversations about this stuff or like after you, after you realize like you fell in love with it and that you really missed it during that summer, what did you like talk about, you know, trying to throw for the, you know, U S outdoor nationals or just was, was simply qualifying for D2. Cause back then there was the A and the B standard, right? You remember race Berry jam, that website? Like, I don't know how many times you hit refresh on that, but <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, all the time. Yeah. You know, like, like I was never good. Like I, I think I made the B one like my senior year I was on it maybe for like two or three days and then like you know as you know people kept like refreshing it I was bumped off the list but uh like did, did you like have conversations with him about that and was it like okay you know I want to throw you know 17 meters in the shot this is what we need to do to get there because you talked about you know working really hard but if you know putting two and a half hours in every day if it's not <laughs> I think you're I think you know where I'm going with this right like if you're just going there you know you're just you know, going balls out every day, like eventually you kind of like burn out, right? Like, or, or is it, or was it different for you? I don't know. Like I'm not six, five, so I, I couldn't have handled half the stuff that you did back then. Right. I'm only, I'm barely yeah. six one, you know? So like my, my body's not built for that, but, uh, but you're way more handsome. So that's, that's good. Well, it's, I don't have any gray hair here and I'm surprised you don't either. Like you have more kids than I do. Like what, what happened? Like I missed the boat. Well, don't look too close and then don't look at the top of my head, man. I'm telling you, it's. At least you got it. At least you got it. My kids are like, oh man, daddy, are we going to look like you like someday with no hair? I'm like, I don't know guys, probably. I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. But. Yeah, we talked about it. Yep. Yeah. That was one of those things. Okay. So at the time, did you, where did you throw at? I threw it for Donia State. So it's a really small D3 school uh, sandwiched between Buffalo, New York, and Erie, PA. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you had all those Wisconsin uh, throwing schools that were just juggernauts. Yeah, yeah they were. I mean, I, I, never, I never met anybody. Actually, the first year that I was coaching after I graduated from college, I was a GA. I was coaching my former teammates and we were fortunate enough. We went to Waverly, Iowa in 2005 for D3 outdoor nationals. And I'll never forget it. The Oshkosh, Wisconsin Oshkosh coach approached me and he's like, Hey, you coach at Fredonia? And I was like, I do. He's like, uh, he's like, do you remember this Trevor guy? And I was like, Trevor Hitchcock. I go, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, I used to beat up on my kids back in the nineties. And this like, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he was the national champion. He's like, yeah, he used to beat our kids for, like, three years in a row. And I just thought that was so cool that, like, this coach, he probably, like, hated me on the spot. Like, oh, my gosh, like, this Fredonia oh, yeah. team, is, they're, like, back again. But, uh, um, no, I mean, I, we never – I mean, we would have got crushed. Like, I wasn't a very good D3 thrower. Like, I was, I was marginal at best. So, I never had the, um, the pleasure of competing with the Wisconsin schools. Did you? I mean, I mean you were kind of close, right? I mean, you were closer. Right. I didn't really ever compete against those guys. I just knew them because like you, man, I, I was hitting that refresh on the list all the time. And so then I was, I was always comparing our list versus D1 versus D3 and then how this and that, and then some D3 guy would throw a big number. I'm like, doggone, man, he's, 
you know, there was a couple like hammer marks. I think I'm like, well, he would win D2 too. Right. <laughs> you know? right. And look like he'd be all American at D1. Wow. That guy's a stud. Right. <laughs> so I always pay attention to that stuff, man. I didn't dude. this is what was bad about me. My fresh, mostly my sophomore year. So I loved my coach. Shiloh was awesome. And I wish, honestly, I wish I could have thrown with him for four years. Cause I think, I think maybe, but you know what, you look back and you, you wonder how God has worked things out and maybe right. I never would have gone to the Highland games because of uh, track would have been too big and too, too focused for me. But mm -hmm. he, uh, I didn't think his workouts were hard enough. Right. So <laughs> I'm the secret. I would go do, <laughs> I would do my workout before, right. which was like two hours. I would train my workout for two hours sure. and I already be in the waiting room waiting for him. He's like, Oh, you're here early. I was like, yeah, just uh, getting ready, coach. Yeah, right. <laughs> we got today. And then I would do his workout, which was about an hour. And I was like, right. okay, three hours training. And then we'd go throw for two hours. And then we might have 30 minutes to an hour of sprint and conditioning, you know? Right. And that was, and only by the grace of God, did I not have some devastating injury where I couldn't, because I look back now and I think that was just really dumb. Like I had no concept. And so for me, it's always been more is better. So clearly if I work harder, I lift more weights and I spend more time doing it, it's better. And it wasn't until really I got probably four or five years of my highly games of career that I started to kind of click and understand that like, Hey bro, maybe you should just chill out for a little bit and realize more is not always better. Right. So how did you, how were you first introduced to Highland games? Like, was it just uh, somebody, you know, at college was like, Hey, Dan, you should go try and throw these stones in the field. Like you're a good shot putter. Maybe it'll work out for you. Like, yeah. How'd it go? Uh, I was staying up late one night in college. I'm sure studying meticulously. Of course. For a really, really hard communications degree. I mean, those are tough. So <laughs> you, you said it, not me. <laughs> uh, I know better yeah, than right. that. No, right. yeah. right and I got uh, ESPN2 used to cover the Scottish Highland Games. That's right. I remember. And so yeah. I was watching and I was like, doggone, that looks really fun. The throwing heavy stuff. They get to wear a yeah. kilt. Yeah. Man, I think I'm going to try that. And I realized by then, by my junior senior year, I was like, okay, Olympics are definitely not in my future. Mm -hmm. USA, uh, USA Outdoor Shop Put, not going to be my future either. Mm -hmm. But I love to throw. I love to train. I got to find something. And so my wife and I got married and moved down to Kansas city mm -hmm. and I called up a guy right again before social media and all that. And so, uh, I called up a guy. I was like, Hey man, saw your name. I need to, I really want to throw. And he's like, cool. We'll show up. And I was like, well, no, it's competition. Like what do I need to do? What things are I going to be practicing? He's like, just right. don't worry about it. Just show up. Mm -hmm. So I showed up in a sleeveless shirt and t-shirt or shorts mm -hmm. and started throwing man. And I, and I absolutely fell in love with it mm -hmm. and, uh, just, just got immersed in the sport, man. So what year was that? If you don't mind me asking, like when you yeah. first, that was Oh four. So I threw mm -hmm. my first one in July of Oh four. So you just graduated from college in May and you were, in, you were competing in um, a couple months later. <laughs> yeah, I was competing a couple months later. That's, that's what's weird, man. Right. Mm -hmm. So I retired in 2017, not to get ahead of, ahead of us here, but 2017 mm -hmm. and my wife and I are talking and I said, you've never known me as a non-thrower. Like, mm -hmm. you know, our marriage right. has never not included the Scottish Highland game. Right. So it was definitely a transition, but yeah, within a couple of weeks I was down there and the same way the ring was throwing uh, Highland games has NASGO web, which yep. is North American Scottish games. Mm -hmm. And that was, dude, I remember at work just being like working and then click and refresh. And especially mm -hmm. if somebody started talking about drugs or right. speaking in the weight for height or something, and it was like this mm -hmm. big discussion. And so you're right. just constantly checking refresh mm -hmm. and had a database mm -hmm. and always check and see how you were ranked and everything. It was mm -hmm. awesome. So what do you remember from that first, like, so you showed up at this guy's place, right? He's like, this is, you know, this is a light hammer. Here's a caber. Here's a weight for height. I mean, you're built, I mean, you're six, five, like, you know, I think sometimes people take it for granted, like up here in Rochester, there's a couple guys that throw and they're like, Oh yeah, you should come out and do it. I'm like, listen, I'm like 38. Like I've never done it before. I, if I was 22. <laughs> sure, man. Like I'll, you do, you know, you do whatever you're dumb most of the time or sometimes. But, uh, so you just show up, like, what were your expect? Like, what were you thinking when you were you like, Oh man, this is gonna be like ESPN. Like there's going to be people watching. There's gonna be a lot of, you know, beer or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. I, I think cause it was like a, it was a, uh, it wasn't a full Scottish festival. It was more like a 
I think they call it an ethnic festival. So <laughs> it, was, it was weird. You're throwing, you're hearing bagpipes over here, and then you're seeing Indian music dancers over here. <laughs> You've got some Viking people over there. I mean, it was it was everything. Sure. Which, which was kind of kind of strange now I think. <laughs> and uh, but no, they showed me how to throw, and I used, I watched and I jumped in and did it, and I got humbled really quick by the caber. Sure. It was such a weird thing. And man, I, and that's the biggest advice I always give people when they want to talk about, I think I want to throw in the Highland games. What do I need to do? And I was like, just go sign up and do it. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't overthink it. Don't think you need to get every implement because you may decide you're not going to like it. Right. But the big thing is you just get out there and try it. You're going to love it. And the people are great and it's going to be a good time. Mm-hmm. So what, so you, you do your first meet in July. You, 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 you said you're just newly, newly went right with your wife. So when, and now, like I asked you with the, with um, high school throwing, so in the Highland game, so how long did it take before you were kind of like, hmm, like my scores are pretty good. Like I, I'm winning these D or C meets. Like somebody's explained it to me before. Like, you know, you have your top level and then kind of going down the, you know, and you made a great video about it that one time. <laughs> when it, so like when, when was it like, hmm, you know, I could, you know, I might be able to compete at, you know, a bigger level here. Yeah, I man, there's a, that's a good question because there was a lot of milestones in my Highland Games career, and one of them was that because when I went to that first kind of demonstration right. competition, right. I threw decent at a couple of events, right? Mm-hmm. Stuff that more or less related to track, the stone throw, and then the lightweight for distance, which mm-hmm. was kind of a discus, right? And of course mm-hmm. the hammer. And uh, I remember hitting, and they're like, "Hey, dude, you did pretty good." And I was like bro, I finished third and there's only three of us in this division or whatever. Like, like, but we're pretty good for the area. And I was like, okay. Like, I was like, so next competition, I mean, we got A, B and C. So I should probably start out C. They're like, no, you need to go to the A class. I'm like, man. (laughs) So I went to the A class and jumped in and started climbing the ranks a little bit, but it wasn't until 2007. uh, I was, 2006, actually, I went out to USA Nationals as a uh, amateur nationals. Right. I finished fourth or fifth. Okay. And some guys were like, dude, you're young. You've got a good career in the sport. You got it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. It's kind of fun still. And then 2007, I was the number one ranked amateur in the world. Right. And people were like, hey, we think you should make the jump to pro. And they're going to pay. And I was like, get out of here. You're not going to pay me to throw. That never happens. And I remember telling my wife, I was like, babe, look. You're going to pay me to throw. She's right. like, really? And I was like, yeah. They say I'm good enough. Yeah. <laughs> so it was 2007, and it took other people saying it, that you could do it. Right. I was, man, I remember being so nervous. Mm-hmm. I mean, once I make the jump to pro, I can't go back to amateurs for like five right. years. But what am I going to do? And they're like, well, how else are you testing yourself? You just need to do it. Mm-hmm. And that, that was 2007, and I jumped in, man. I went to, uh, I got invited to uh, Invitational out in Pleasanton, California. And uh, I won the caber toss and won the challenge caber. And that was kind of my signature event. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and I always tell people, it's like, you want a guaranteed way to get back, get invited back by an athletic director is turn the caber. What do you mean? I was, it's hard. I was like, right. It is the most crowd watched, the most fan favorite thing. Like, I think at that, I finished, I finished third or fourth at that pro, my first pro competition, and I bombed in a couple of events, like last place by a long mile in the heavyweight for distance right. and lightweight for distance. But yet I won the challenge caber toss, and the crowd was big, and they're watching it. I'm thinking pictures with people. Right. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> what, what reality am, am I in? Right. I'm, thinking, I'm a thrower and taking pictures with people, you know? And, right. and I'm like, I didn't even win, but they don't even know. You know, right. I was right. just throwing the caber. Mm-hmm. So that was when I finally kind of realized like, Hey, I think I can, I can maybe do this for a little bit. So does that, I mean, you're, you're a real humble guy. I mean, like your parody videos, they're like, I, I mean, I love them to death. Like even my kids, like my oldest is like, he, he's kind of like starting to figure this stuff out, but you're taking pictures with people and you were asked to like, you're throwing stone, like, you know, like Matt Vince, you know, he always posts, you know, dude, like I only, I threw stones in a field, man. And like people watch, but like, you're starting to make a living out of this, right? Like, it, like in your mind, like, what do you, like, like you just mentioned, like, well, Hey, you know, honey, they're going to pay me to come throw. Like what goes <laughs> yeah. through your mind when it's, when it, now it's like, now you're starting to build momentum, right? You, you haven't, I don't think up until this point, you haven't competed in the world championships yet. Right. 
no. so like so so talk a little bit about that then like because you have a job right like you have yeah. kids like yeah. how are you how are you managing all this yeah i mean i got a full-time job at that yeah. point uh, i'm starting and that was the hard part man is just trying to get my name out there right i'm from missouri I was traveling regional and doing amateur competitions. And now as a pro, you got to try and hit the circuit, right? And get invited to all these competitions. Right. And that was, and that was, it, it was a hard balance, man. But I, like I said earlier, I don't think, I think in all that, I, all that God's blessed me to accomplish in the sport, I've never, um, I, I was always encouraged by Ryan Vieira. To me, he's, he is, Next to Bill Anderson, he's the greatest of all time. He's won five world championships, 11 U.S. championships. He virtually had every world record before he retired. Many of them, they've already been broken by other people. But that dude wore down. He went through two VCRs, okay? So back in the day, for those of you listening that don't know, we had these things called VCRs. They were cassette tape players, right? Uh, Video cassette players. And he wore two of them out just from rewinding, going over film. And I remember thinking, I'm like, wow, am I at that level? If I want to proceed and progress in the sport, am I at that level to where I would break a VCR? And I'm like, no, I'm not. And so that's where I started to really challenge myself. And that's what was hard, man, is that I was, man, I just remember those days getting up 4.15, 4.30 in the morning. I'd go train. And then I'd drive an hour into work. And then I would sit in my butt all day in a cube doing work. And then I would drive home and I would go have dinner real quick. And then I'd go out and I'd throw for an hour and a half, two hours a night. And I did that probably four nights, three nights during the week. And then twice on the weekend. And, and I was just grinding, 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 doing it, doing it, doing it. And yeah, it was tough. I had one kid at that time and then kept growing kids from there too. Right, so right. It, it's, it was a, uh, I wouldn't say I always, I wouldn't say it was always a healthy obsession, I'll be honest, with sure. my throwing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and that's partly why I retired when I did, is to to spend more time at home. But yeah, it's a, uh, it was an interesting journey, man. Well, I think, Dan, like, I think people take, that's the part that they take for granted. Like, I um, I just, I, I coached a kid at NAS. He, um, he was a D2 national champion in the weight throw. And I was kind of like, all right, like, this is it. Like, you got to make a decision. Like, I think I got you to where you should, you can be as far as I can get you. You should go talk to Judd, go, go train at Ashland. And if you really want to pursue the Olympics, do it. And, um, and I, we were talking about like stuff similar to this. And I'm like, well, what are you, you know, reflecting back now? And he's like, man, he's like, you just got to fucking want to do it. Like, he's like, I think people on social media, they think it's easy. But he's like, nobody knows about getting up at four o'clock and doing all this stuff. And, and that's why I find like, you know, people like you, you're so, it's so intriguing. Like you're a world champion, but you got a job, right? You have like, you have other responsibilities. It's almost like throwing became, it was a hobby that turned into something, you know, bigger. I mean, did you think you were ever, like, and I know we joked about like the Milo and things like that, but did you ever think it was going to get to that point? Like you were just going to light the world on fire? No, no, man. When I first started, it was all for fun, right? It was right. just a fun thing. And then when I turned pro, I remember my goal was, I was like, man, I just, I don't think it'll ever happen. But if I could just go to USA Nationals sometime, right. that would be awesome. The Celtic Classic would be incredible. I remember just thinking if I could ever make it there. Right. And that's why I think it's always been, for me, is to remember, like, I – and that's only by the grace of God. I am not, I think of the guys I've thrown against, you know, the right. Olympic trials guys, the NFL, NFL <laughs> yeah, football right. players guys. And I'm like, right. I, I don't belong here, but I'm going to keep trying, like, right. keep trying like I do. But, right. and that's what I think irritates, man, I'll be honest. I've, I've, it's rubbed me wrong through the years sometimes when somebody will say, Hey bro, can you look at a, a video of me throwing the way for distance? And I say, you bet. No problem. What you got? They send it to me. I say, Hey, Let's work on, you know, let's work on your entry here. Your cast is a little high. Let's work on a lower entry and get that going. A week later, cool, I got it. What's next? And I was like, no, you don't got it. <laughs> and I'm sure you see this all the time with your athletes and coaching, yeah. right? But yeah. I'm going, no, 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 you ain't got it. And like, well, I think by next year, I'll probably break the, uh, the world record in the weight for distance. And I was like, yeah, you probably won't. <laughs> So we're going to, I think we're done, you know, right, and so right. I think that's, what's hard is you're exactly right. People yeah. see like, Oh, it, it's just easy. No, it's not. It's the hours and hours and the thousands and thousands of throws. Right. And so, and I always say like, 
you ain't, you don't got it yet. You right. keep working that. Come back to me in about three months. Then we'll right. do the next thing. <laughs> right. So did, did you have somebody like that, Dan? Like, you, you know, you went to your amateur, you were the number one ranked amateur in the world. You have people maybe talking in your ear, like you got to go pro and you have to do this. But like who, who do, you know, world champions go to? Like, who do you bounce ideas off of in regards to, should I make this transition? Like how many, how many competitions should I, you know, do in 2008? Like who, who do people of like your stature talk to when it comes to advice about stuff? Well, it's, you know, well, you know, I, and you know, but like really, yeah. you know, like for me, it's like, I can, you know, I, we we're having this conversation and I, I, like I said, I cannot, I can never thank you enough for that. But you know, maybe, t but like 10 years ago, it might've been more difficult to, you know, have a conversation like this, or maybe you get on the phone with Ryan and say, Hey, listen, like, you know, what do you think? Like, so who, you know, who were people that were kind of helping you out, you know, along the way to, you know, help you make the best decisions for yourself in regards to, you know, making the jump to pro. Yeah, man. That was Sean Betts. Sean was the 2008 world champion. He's from uh, Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. And he was at that very first competition I was at. I remember just watching him just completely sore weights and stones and hammers out there. And I thought, holy cow, this guy. And Sean at the time was like, hey, man, you're going to be moving up this real quick. And I was like, yeah, whatever, man. I'm just starting out. But I stayed close friends with him for all these years. And he was the one that I always went to council-wise, right? right? And he's like, hey, man, you need to make the jump now. And I'm like, ah, I'm not ready. I won't be able to get into games. And he's like, I'll help you. And he did. And I've always remembered that. And I've always tried to help guys that I've, because I know Sean didn't do that with everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm very, I'm very thankful and blessed that he saw in me somebody who was willing to work hard, mm -hmm. someone who was willing to not make a mockery of the sport right. and someone who respected the sport. And so he was willing to help me. And so mm -hmm. ever since then, I've always tried to pass it forward. And if mm -hmm. I find a young guy, an amateur, I think, Hey, he's, he respects the sport. He, mm -hmm. he works hard. I'm going to help him out and I'll try to help him out where I can. But he was the one, you know, I would, man, I almost honestly, dude, I almost retired from the Highland games in 08, 09, uh, 08, because I messed up my back and I was just wrestling with it. And I told, I remember telling Sean, I was like, man, I may be done, man. Like I can't, I can barely walk. My back is just killing me. And he's like, don't give up yet. You can do this. You can rehab this. You can make this happen. You just take the rest of your off. You can come back. You can do this. And at that point, I was like, man, I can't make it to these other competitions. How am I going to get into, get into ones in the future? He's like, I'll help you. You're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So right. he's a huge influence on my, on my throwing career, man. So I think that, I mean, you just said it. Like, I think to another piece that people like fail to, to see is, like you have to, when you have the opportunity, you have to take advantage of it, right? Like, like you, I mean, you had, you had the world champion that you're able to communicate with at the time yeah. and he's encouraging you. I mean, you could have easily said, yeah, you know what? My back hurts. We have, you know, three kids or whatever, like the job's too difficult. I'm going to let it go. But I mean, shortly after that, it's when really, you know, your career kind of started to take off, right? Yeah, man. That's when it really, <laughs> things started going better. Like I came yeah. back from the injury and i uh, i just missed out nationals the year before <clears throat> the 2010 and honestly man that's when the weight gain happened too right, right. so mm -hmm. i was i remember my first competition i was six five two fifty five and i thought boy i'm, <laughs> big, I'm a big strapping guy from yeah, d2 right. college i mean i'm gonna be ready yeah. and i looked around I was like boy these guys are all 280 to 320 right what in the world so about 2009, I started climbing up the weight gain, and I said, I've got to really, if I want to throw well in this, I've really got to up the, my weight and my size. And so right. that's when things started clicking in nine. Mm -hmm. And then 2010, I went to, I went to a USA's and finished, mm -hmm. uh, no, that was 2009, sorry, I went to USA's and I finished fourth, just off the podium. Mm -hmm. And then 2010, I, I won it and got my invite to the first Worlds. Mm -hmm. So, you, I mean, you've, you've been able to travel the world with with the with highland games so when you when you won um u.s nationals after finishing fourth the year before like what like what did you change not so much like how many how many you know caber tosses or you know wait for distance like throws you took like was there anything like uh mentally that you changed like was there you know that i mean is that the time where you started to kind of smarten up and think you know what i i, I don't need to take you know my volume's too high i need to like smarten up and just you know, you know, visualize things or like, was there well, like, what was the change? I mean, going from fourth to winning, I mean, that's kind of a, that's kind of a big deal. I mean, your competitors, I mean, they were similar guys, 
So like yeah. what changed for you um, over the course of that 12 months? Man, it was, I would say it was 2009, Portland, Oregon, pro competition in July, right? Leading up to nationals. I think I was like going into nationals a seat like eighth or ninth, mm -hmm. right? I kind of squeaked in the top 10, was able to put together a good, good weekend and finish fourth, right? So, but honestly, man, I, Portland, Oregon, I remember, because I always threw well in the stones. I usually at that time, I would win, I could win both stones. And then the weights for distance, I would finish last. And then I would come back in the hammers and throw decent. I might win the caber, win the weight over bar. I remember just thinking to myself, I was like, I was going into those events that weren't very good. I was defeated already. And I would just go, okay, well, here's my bad event. Looks like I better take my lumps. And I wouldn't even. And so I remember coming back from that competition. I think I finished sixth overall. And I said to myself, I remember flying back and I think I had a layover in Phoenix. I remember sitting in the, sitting in the waiting area going, never again, never, I'm not going to let this happen anymore. And what that meant for me was that I wasn't going to let, I wasn't going to go into the competition just trying not to lose. I had to compete right. to win every single time. Right. And so many times you, we compete not to lose uh -huh. instead of competing to win. And so the big change for me was just the mentality of it. Right. So you could look at the numbers and say, McKim is not going to fin not going to win the weight for distance, but even just that mentality of it, man, where I go, okay, I might win this. I'm going to put a big throw out there and slowly and dude, just like every competition from there, every weekend there, my weight started to improve, mm -hmm. which meant my overall points started to improve. I just started hitting higher numbers just because I had confidence and I had, I had an understanding of going and getting after it. So when you when you won that that national championship the year after, and then you you qualify for worlds, what like was that like a like oh my gosh, like I actually like I did it like this year of hard work, you know, really paid off with these weights, and and now you're you're gonna you're gonna try you're gonna compete at the world championships. Like what? How does the mindset change then, or is it just like, hey, this is fun? Like we're we're gonna let it ride and see what happens this first time. Yeah. Oh man, there was there was a lot of there was a lot of self. Uh, inflicted pressure, I guess you could say. There's some, but um, I was I was honestly just enjoying it. And I, man, I, I don't know if I feel like I hate to say I hate to. It's a cliche, but you know, I throw with a you know, chip on your shoulder, right? And so I don't know that I've always thrown that way. I think I've thrown with the understanding that I don't belong here because I will sit in competition even after winning nationals and going on to winning winning worlds and going, holy cow, I don't belong here. I am not near as good as any of these guys athletically. So let's just, let's just go mess it up. Let's see what we can do. And so I think that's kind of how I've always had my approach was, is that, cause I, I, I don't know, man, I, I feel like kind of society in, in sports in general, if you ever feel like you've arrived, then it's probably time for you to leave. Sure. Right. So, because at least for me, uh, if I'm going to stay humble, if I'm going to stay hungry, I've got to throw and compete like I'm going to lose. And so I've got to keep going to win. So I think it just fueled me 2011 to just try and win that to win the world championship. So did, did, did that ever get, um, I, I want to word this like as best I can, like, did it ever get like boring? Like, were you ever, you know, you won nationals, you go to worlds, like now you're, you're world champion. Like, when you fly home, are you like, okay, like I did what I wanted to do or like, you know, cause I, I was talking to somebody else about it the other day, right? Like, you know, the cliche, you know, the wolf climb in the mountain is always hungrier than the one on top, but you were, <laughs> you, but you were there for a long time, you know? So like, do, do you ever get like, okay, like I could take, the, you know, I could take my foot off the gas a little bit. Like I can just chill and then, you know, or like, how, how does that, how does that work then? Like, does anything change? Like, I mean, your kids are like, oh, you know, dad's here now. Like, that you know yeah. do they realize like what happened oh man so many so many good questions in there sorry so, i know i i, I, so I get get rattled no no i'm just saying like that's yeah. good stuff man so i got a couple things on that 2012 sure. the year following i talked about portland how you th you compete so what i did is i did i was a big numbers guy i used to mow the yard and i the big competition that year it'd be six seven months nine months away but i would plan out like okay 
So if Vlad and Scott beat me in the stones, but then I pick up two points on them and the hammer and I would, right. every single scenario I'd go through in my mind. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went through the whole scenario 2012 worlds was in Fergus, Canada and Fergus, Ontario, I think. Yeah. It's Canada. Right. Canada. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I remember going, okay, if I just have an average games, if I just throw my average numbers, I'm going to win. And so I went and I threw average and finished third. And I remember going back to the dual dorm room they had us in that night and going, man, again, like Portland, you idiot, you've competed. You didn't compete to win. You competed not to lose. And so what happened? You lost. You finished third. Your goal was a repeat, and that's not what you got. So 2013 on, I always threw that way. And, again, it kind of in 2014 at Worlds, I fouled a big throw in the stone and a big throw in the lightweight for distance that would have won me. I lost that Worlds by one point. I would have won had maybe I done a safety throw, right? Sure. But I threw to win and not to not lose. So I will say, man, I'm going to say this like – I don't want to sound like a, like a jerk. Um, winning the second, third, and fourth world championship is harder than winning the first. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want you to, I don't want you to take that like it's like, oh, we, what was me? I won a world championship. I don't, I don't mean it like that. What I mean is that first one, you're kind of right. Like, you're hungry. Like, I was the guy. The, I was the upcoming guy, and I had a lot to prove. I want to win it. And then – when you're expected to win, then it's hard. So I won in 2011, finished third in 2012. I won it in 13, finished second in 2014. I won it in 15, <laughs> and I was second in 16, and then I won it in 17, right? right. So like this back and forth, just like, uh, you know, you know, Matt Vincent won two there, and then Scott Ryder won the other one in uh, in. Scotland. And so it was one of those things, man, where being the repeat guys, it's hard because everyone's coming for you. And so it wasn't that I didn't train hard. I didn't try hard. And I didn't want it. I wanted it really bad, but man, it is. And the pressure, I don't, I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, I'm just like, it, it, cause it's really, cause I mean, you, I mean, you and Matt really, you traded for that five years. You won, he won, you won, he won. Right. Yeah. Like how, like, how do you learn how to compete like that? Like, because, I mean, we're the same age. So, like, for someone who, you know, who's, uh, you know, big-time high school thrower or someone who's, um, you know, big-time collegiate D1 All-American, stuff like yeah. this, like, how do you teach how, – how would you teach them to not be afraid to lose, I guess, right? Like, I work with D3 kids, and, and 99% of the kids, they just – they come and they, they just want to be part of the team. And – you know, if I, if I have a guy that throws a shot, like 45 feet, like that's, you know, that's a win for us. Right. So it, it was always, it's, and I still find it very difficult to have those types of conversations of like, you know, it's, it's okay to fail. Like you, you don't, you don't have to go for the safety stuff. Right. But like at your level, like at that, at that elite level, like status, like, is it, is it, it just as easy as somebody to say, Dan, get over yourself. Like you're the, you're the champion. You're just going to go on and you're going to steamroll people. Like there's stuff that goes on between the ears at that level too, though. Right. I mean, like you fly overseas and you know, is there ever like in your mind, like, Holy cow, like I'm going for the repeat or I'm, I'm, I'm going to try and do this or damn that Vincent guy is going to show up again. Like, why doesn't he just leave me alone? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> leave me alone. Like I'm just, cause I'm, I'm just trying to get into like, like, cause that facet just it, it interests me so much. And I think a lot of other people might be interested too. And just like, how, yeah. you know, how do you think about that? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a good question. That's another uh, hot topic of mine because it, it, it honestly transformed my throwing career and I think uh, lengthened it because when I was in high, when I was in college, I went to, I went to six national championships indoor and outdoor, right? right. And uh, shot discs, hammer and weight various years. Every year I was seated every single time I was seated to be an all American and I came away with an all American once on an eighth place finish indoor, right? I choke artists, bro. Like I would choke every big competition. Right? I would throw really well at conference. I set myself up to peak and then I get the nationals and then I would choke. And so one thing I did, and it's something that I always encourage every single thrower, every single athlete, every single Highland Games to track that I talk to is I created ghost throwers. 
So every time I would go out to practice, right? So I would set the stage. I would do my warm up. Um, now, granted, early in the season, maybe I'm not doing full throws yet. I'm just doing technique and such. Sure. I may not. But soon as soon as I hit full throws, man, and I was hitting into the season, I was throwing against ghost throwers every every day. So I might in the lightweight for distance, I might say, okay, I've got four throws left, and Mike. Pekoski's thrown 82-6, you know, and whoever, Scott Ryder went 84, or Matt Benson went 85. And so I would say, I've got to, I've got to throw 86, nothing about it. So I would enter the box like I was throwing. And I had that mindset, and I would treat it like a competition throw. Don't foul it. Don't you dare foul it. That's the other thing. We don't foul in the competition. We shouldn't foul in practice all the time. And that just drives me crazy, too. But anyways, so – I told myself, okay, I've done this. And so when I got to that first competition, like nationals, when I won my first national championship, it came down to the last throw. And, and, and Eric Fisher, a good buddy of mine, fouled on his last throw. They would have won his national championship, right? But I won it. But it took those three throws I had before to hit that mark, right? And so, so I always tell people is, is create those ghost throwers because I knew when I came to those situations, man, because I know – Man, stuff that I never would have been able to do in college. Uh, I was trying to think on the la- I, 2015 World Championships in France. Came down the last throw on the weight over bar, and I cleared it on my last throw to win the national, win the World Championships. Mm-hmm. I have multiple championships where it came down the last throw, right. but I had drilled that every day in practice, right. and so I was never. Grant, you have butterflies, but I was never terrified and and choked like I did in college because I had done it probably thousands of times and so that's why i was telling people whether you're in highland games or your track create ghost throwers because you've got those situations because you're right you may have everything but you ain't got it up here right. you're in trouble and it's going to come back and bite you so how many how many just out of curiosity those ghost ghost throwers ever beat you or no we'll keep that in maybe for on the down low <laughs> yeah they beat me yeah they would beat me but that's part of my yeah. two of uh mm-hmm. Man, you know, I if it came, if it got too easy, you got to set your numbers up. You know, you can't right. be like, oh, the ghost thrower threw seventy two, and you're usually like an eight foot thrower. Like, right. Well, right. Come on. Right. but there's times, and I would set that too, as I had to be better about perhaps like we talked about that I was in college. I would say, okay, I have six throws, and that's it. Mm-hmm. I have to throw four of these over eighty four. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes I would punish myself if I didn't. Right, I would set myself up like for punishments if I didn't. But a lot of times it was like, no matter what. You've got to hit these throws to win the championship. It's right. it's the championship at the at the field, <laughs> but it's the championship this round. Because even though it's the field of the school that you're practicing that day, but to win the championship, you have to do that. And there were many times where I didn't do it. I only threw 83 for three of those throws and 81 for the other ones. Right. Guess what? It's time to go home. You lost today. Figure it out. Go over the video. Go over it in your head. And then next practice, you're going to win it this time. I'm I'm so I'm I'm so appreciative that you shared that because and and I've said it a million times like I think uh, you know people take it for granted but you know with with social media like in everyone not everyone but people post like their wins like a lot of people don't you know yeah. post their losses or you know I missed this deadlift or this squat or this bench so it's like the highlights and I think that's really important because you won that world championship in 2015 probably what like a hundred times on that field before you even showed up right like and and I think that's where you know, even like kids that I coach now, it's like, ah, oh, coach, that's no big, you're like, we'll get there. I'm like, no, like it takes like years. Like it's not like instantaneous. You're going to get a hundred likes and, and, and you're amazing all of a sudden. Like it takes a long time. And, and I, and I researched that for a living and it's like, oh my gosh, like if, if I wish I would have understood that I probably would have thrown a little better when I was in college. Like, you know, it just, it just takes time, but it's difficult to tell a 19 year old, Hey, you know, you just got to be patient because patience, what, like 10 minutes. Like you see those three dots when you're text messaging someone like, Oh my God, are they going to write back immediately? Like, yeah, you know, and, and you're an adult and you're doing this, like, you know, <laughs> well, right. Like, you know, I, that's why I think it's so cool. I think that's why, you know, we're, we're, we're handing off so much here. Like, because I do that in the garage too. Like when I'm, you know, before, when I was like competing in powerlifting, like, okay, like I have to hit this, like I got pins here. Like I'll be, you know, I'll be okay if I miss it, but like yeah. you have to try because if you don't, you know, if you don't have it there, like in your garage or the field that you're training at, how, how can we expect to do it when it really counts? Like when there's a yeah. tape measure and there's five other dudes that throw just as far, if not farther. 
Absolutely, man. That's, and that's something I wish I'm with you, man. I wish I'd have known that in college, that would have helped me a lot. I wish I'd have set the stage in college and, and, and that's something I want to teach my kids, you know, as they throw of, of setting the stage and creating, but I don't know why it didn't click, man. Cause I played basketball in high school and we did situations, right? right. Coach would be like, set the clock minute. You got 90 seconds. Right. Uh, we got to score five buckets, you know, or whatever this. And so you create those scenarios. And for some reason, I think we forget that, at least in my realm, we forget that as throwers. Mm-hmm. We have to create the scenarios. Right. So you, you, I mean, you couldn't have written a better scenario for 2017, right? Like I was, I was reading, I was reading that Milo this morning. Like when you showed up, like you, you know, like in the interview there, like you knew that you were, this was the last time. Yeah. What, like, what did that mean to you? I mean, cause you talk about a point here and a point there. I mean, really it's a, I mean, you're talking about a game it's inches, right? Like, I mean, it's any, any given Sunday, pretty much Al Pacino's in your ear, given that pep talk, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, so, <laughs> so when, when you're there and it's like, wow, like this is like, what were your, what, what were you thinking? Like, oh my gosh, like I, I, obviously I'm going to win, but it's okay if I finish second, like I, there's, there's going to be no, you know, buyer's remorse. Like I'm not going to try and come back, you know, next year or the year after that. Oh man. <laughs> That's a good question too, man. Um, it was never a, it was never, I, w- I will say it was never a, I'm going to win. And it right. was never a, eh, it's okay if I get second. It was, I am probably not going to win, but I really need to throw well to win. And if I get second, it's going to be on, that's not, I'm not going to be satisfied, mm-hmm. but I'm not coming back next year. Mm-hmm. So I think I kind of came to a point when I turned pro in 2007, mm-hmm. I told my wife, I said, Hey, look, um, I just want to do this for five years. I just, I'm going to get thrown. Uh, I'm just going to get paid to throw for five years. She said, okay, I'll give you five years. You know? Well, 10 years later, <laughs> I was still throwing. Right. And I had really backed down. When I first turned pro, I was going everywhere I could, right? Mm-hmm. So 18 weekends a year, not counting all the throwing I was doing, the thousands of throws I was doing and uh, in practice. And then by the time I was in 2017, six, pretty much most of 15, 16, 17, mm-hmm. I did USAs, I did Worlds in about – three of the big USA competitions and that was it. Now I still trained my butt off. I was still practicing every weekend, you know, every week, every weekend and throwing a ton. I just wasn't doing the travel for my family. And so I think honestly, man, when I came down to 2017, um, it was hard. It was emotional. I'll I'll never forget Celtic classic 2017 USA is, you know, at the end of the year, it's last competition of the year. And I, I didn't throw that well that weekend. I finished third and I knew it was my final weekend. I knew it was it. And we came down to the caber, the last throw, all the competitors went out there and grabbed it and walked it to me and stood it up to me. Like gave me a hug, like on my last one, dude. And I came barreling down, you know, barreling down the field and Celtic classic always has a couple thousand people watching, which as a thrower, they never get that. And so I flipped it, turned to 12 and, and I left my shoes on the field, right? That's the big thing for Highland Games. Right. You leave your right. shoes on the field as you walk off. Mm-hmm. And how emotional that was for me, man. And I, and I think about it, like, dude, it was just throwing. Right. But it wasn't just throwing. It's never been just throwing for me. It's, um, if it wasn't for throwing, I never would have gotten this job with Sornex that I love. Mm-hmm. I never would have met the number of people I, I have. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you, you know? I wouldn't be doing all these cool things and having all these opportunities and, like you said, traveling the world. And, and it was never just throwing. And, but I, what I'm very thankful for is that it's always been something I do. It's not defined me. And I think that's where we see a lot of people in strength sports struggle with depression and suicide is because it's cool when you're the big strong guy, whether that's powerlifting or strongman or Highland Games or throwing, you're big and you throw far. You do, you do great things. But someday you're not going to be the strongest guy. Someday you're not going to be that. And what do you do then? And so that's why I think we see, we see a lot of these guys with suicide and depression. And so it's always been something I do never define me who I am. You know, my relation with Jesus Christ is what defines me as a person. That's who I am. It's just the fact that he, he let me throw stuff for a while. It was awesome. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I have all these other things. And so that's my big encouragement too to people is let throwing, let sports, 
Let strength be something you do. Don't let it define you or else it's, it's going to let you down every single time. Right. And especially like, you know, with today, like we're the same age. Like I never, I never thought we'd be, you know, experiencing something like this, like with this, this like whole Corona stuff. And I was talking to um, um, Adrian uh, Blue Wilson the other day about it. And I was like, what, I was like, Adrian, like, what do you, what do you do now? Like, how is it so much different? And she's like, Oh my gosh, like we don't know. Like it's so difficult to train, like not knowing like what's going to happen, you know, next about it. So like for you, like, I, I don't, I, I say this tongue in cheek, right? So like, we'll, we'll never see you out there again, even maybe like a demonstration or, Hey kid, this is how you throw the caber. Like any, anything like that? No, no, I would, I would love to, uh, I'd love to announce. I'd love to field announce. I would love to, uh, you know, maybe judge or something like that. And I want to, I want the sport to grow. I'd love for it to grow, but I won't, I won't be out there, man. I think, uh, I, I just, I I have had my fill. (laughs) I, and it's funny. You said like, you asked the question earlier, like, how oh, does it ever get boring? And it's never right. gotten boring, but it's, it's changed through the years. Mm-hmm. When you're an amateur, that was all I thought about. That's all I did was right. check the board and where's my ranking? Where can I go? You know, where can I, right. where can I throw? And I oh, got to get done with work. So I can go throw. Right. And then by the time I was towards my end, it's, it's like, I hate to say it, man, cause I love throwing, but it, was, it becomes a job more, right. more of a job. I still loved it. I still wanted to do it. And you can watch the video of me throwing a ball in my eyes out like a baby after I got done throwing, you know, it kept the classic and I'm waving to the crowd and stuff because it meant that much to me. But uh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm enjoying retired, <laughs> retired well, life. <laughs> well, I think probably your competitors are enjoying that you're retired also. Uh, but <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I mean, you know, like, but, but the stuff that you're doing now, like Sornix, like, you know, I love, I love the stuff. I got a whole bunch of, you know, Sornix equipment in my garage and, and I'm very thankful for that. But like, you know, the, the, you know, not to end like on a, on a silly note, but like these videos that you make with like, I, I just like, <laughs> did somebody like put that in your ear? Like, Hey Dan, like you should, you know, you know, bring back these like real men. Like I remember watching the commercials when I was a kid. <laughs> and I showed my and I showed my wife this morning. I'm like, you know, like we mentioned. I was like, you know, this is who I'm going to be talking to. She's like, she's like, I remember those commercials when I was a kid too. But it's like, <laughs> like they're hysterical. Like I can watch them over and over and over and over again. Like where, like you just sit around one day and your son's like, hey, dad, like you should we we should do like funny videos or something like or like the, the throwing coach or the running coach. Like where where'd you get that stuff from? Man, that's a good question. I just, <laughs> I, I just think I started doing it because that's just my personality. I'm just, a, I'm just a goofy, stupid guy. I'm not a, I'm not a well-read man. I'm not a smart man. And so I live on puns and being silly, right? That is maybe it's part of having five kids, you know, but I just right. like being silly. And so I think there's so much to make fun of in our, in our strength communities right. and throwing communities right. that I just, I just wanted to highlight some of that. So I'm, I appreciate that you enjoy, man. I oh, love, love making them. And uh, now I will say I hurt some feelings doing them too. I have people reach out and say that they don't appreciate my mockery of the industry or sure. uh, people. But, and I kind of struggled with that at first. And sometimes I was like, man, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody. I'm just, right. it's just fun. You know, I'm just trying to create some light to it. And, right. and I always tell them, I was like, look, man, you may be offended. And I'm very sorry, but. You should go see my throwing videos. <laughs> I'm not making fun of you. You, should, I make fun of throwers the most. You know, right, so, right. so no, I don't know, man. I was just, just enjoy it and have fun and just start throwing videos together. I guess. I mean, this the last one that you just put, you know, put out like the Craigslist. Like who, like is that? Because I, you know, I, I always look on Craigslist for lifting equipment, like bumper <laughs> plates and things, and. And I saw your video and I'm just like, oh man, like, I, I wonder <laughs> that's how these transactions go like behind, <laughs> behind the building at the, at the high school or something like that. Like, Hey man, come here. If you want to check out these, these, these 25 K bumpers I got or whatever, you know, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, that one was, uh, I went with you. I loved the real men of genius. Right, of genius yeah. If you go on YouTube, somebody's compiled an hour of them. Sure. And, they're awesome to listen to and I, I would listen to those to get inspiration right. for the for the for that clip but uh yeah man I, I just think and that's part of it you know I was one of the things I always talk about is is uh 
one of the pillars of my, my household with my boys is to have joy. And within that is, I think to have joys, you've got to, number one, you've got to, you've got to be self-deprecating. Mm-hmm. You've got to make the mundane, the fun things. And number three, you've got to be bold and take risks. And part of me making videos is I want to be self-deprecating. I make fun of myself. I make fun of things I do, make fun of things that my industry and throwers do right. down to just the little things. If we highlight the little things in life, we can make them fun. They don't have to be mundane. And lastly, to have be bold and take risks. Mm-hmm. There's so many, there's videos, man, that I, dude, I, I will, I will make this video and I'll edit it and I'll go, I'll just like, dude, this is going to be awesome. Everyone's going to love this video and I'll post it and I'll just wait. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I, and it just completely bombs. Right. right. And you just never know. There's times I'm like, wow, that was a bomb. I had this really stupid video and I'll post another one that I'm like, well, that wouldn't take me very long. It's not very funny, but I would post it. And then everybody loves it. So no, I definitely can relate. Right? No, I no, I can definitely relate to the. Um, see, one of my one of the ones that I think is a hidden gem is the, um, the the strength coaches at the conferences. Like I'm that guy. Like, <laughs> hey, come over. Let's grab these t-shirts, or you know, yeah. let's you know, we'll meet you at the you know the Golden Corral or whatever after the fact. But no, I can definitely <laughs> no, I can definitely relate. No, they're they're good stuff. But uh, you know, Dan, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I, you know, I appreciate, you know, spending the time to like share and like kind of yeah. pick your brain about, you know, work life and, you know, how, you know, what it was like to throw far. And I appreciate it, buddy. It's always good to chat and talk throws, especially, man. I Thanks for giving me the opportunity to do it. Oh, thanks, Dan. Take care. All right.